If it were up to us, friends, we wouldn't make it to the end. Our faith isn't strong enough. We're not able to conjure up the spiritual strength that we need in order to keep us to the end. And that's why we give praise to him who holds us fast. And we can be confident that we will make it to the end. We will persevere because we will be preserved by his abiding, kind, and strong grace. And because of that resting upon our hearts, let's bow now and thank the Lord for his word and ask him to prepare our hearts as we open it together. Our loving Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have to open the scriptures, to hear your voice. And we ask that you would help us to hear it clearly this morning. We would understand it so that our hearts would be changed, that we would worship you, that we'd cling to Christ, and that we'd live faithfully for his glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, children are born into this world as learners. They come onto this planet with knowledge of nothing, and they have to learn everything. They have to be shown how to eat, shown how to drink, how to speak, how to walk, how to socialize. These things don't come to them naturally and they, as sponges, begin to learn how it is that humans are to operate in this world. Now, in light of this, they need teachers. They need those who would show them the ropes, those who would show them these things and God naturally gave them parents that they would observe and learn these things uh, much of their lives. Now, there, it's true that children and young adults can learn many things and can uh, even become quite proficient at some things, right? That's what YouTube is filled with. The four-year-old that can do this with, this, with an instrument, the nine-year-old that can do this uh, sort of great athletic feat. And it truly, it is amazing what kids are able to learn, how quickly and how proficient they become. But they had to learn it from someone somewhere first. And they're are just new at it. And so there's really no place in, in our world today where we look to children to teach the class, where we look to children to instruct us and tell us on how we are to do something. That is until we come to our passage today. In our passage today, Jesus is going to point to children as an example of how disciples are to receive him and receive the news of his coming kingdom. It's as if we are seated in a classroom and Jesus is the teacher and he wants us all to look as he brings a child to the front as an example that we should follow. There's something vital about entering the kingdom that we need to learn from children. It's like a story a Sunday school teacher once told as he began testing the children about how it is and what it takes to get into heaven. The teacher asked the children, if I sold my house and my car and had a big garage sale and gave all the money to the church, would that get me into heaven? No, all the children answered. If I cleaned the church every day, mowed the yard and kept everything neat and tidy, would that get me into heaven? Again, the answer was no. Well, then, if I was kind to animals and gave candy to all the children and loved my wife, would that get me into heaven? I asked them again. Once more, they all answered, no. Well, I continued, thinking that they were a good bit more theologically sophisticated than I had given them credit for, then how can I get into heaven? A five-year-old boy shouted out from the back, you got to be dead. <laughs> While that is true, <laughs> heaven only comes after we die, the lesson that Jesus wants us to learn from children is a bit more profound and, but just as simple in our text today. And so I'd invite you to open your personal copy of God's word to Luke chapter 18. The gospel of Luke chapter 18, we'll be looking at verses 15 through 17 this morning. 
As you're turning there, it's important to remember the context of the passage we find ourselves this morning. Jesus had just finished telling the parable of a Pharisee and a tax collector, you'll remember. The parable told of those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. And he exemplified that in the story with a Pharisee, a Pharisee who took pride in his accomplishments and began to confess that before God, saying, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men and that I do such and such a thing. He thought that all of his diligence in religious achievements would impress God. He thought that he could earn a righteous status before God. But Jesus surprised his audience by saying that justification, that is being made right in God's eyes, does not come through achievement, but through abasement, through humbling oneself. And the tax collector modeled this in the parable as he cried out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He couldn't even lift his eyes to heaven, but he cried out for mercy. And then Jesus ended the parable by concluding this. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Humility before God results in a final exaltation and salvation. And Jesus is going to continue to make that point, that what he requires is a humility before him. As he goes now into this small vignette and the ministry of Jesus. So let's read our text this morning, Luke chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. Follow along as I read. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called to them, called to him, called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Friends, in this passage here this morning, we're going to see two steps that Jesus wants us to take to learn something from children about receiving salvation. Two steps that we need to take to learn something from children about receiving salvation. The first step that we need to take is this. We must value children like Jesus does. We must value children like Jesus does. And we see this in verses 15 and 16. Because you see, we're not going to learn from their example if we don't value them. And so we need to value them first. Now when it comes to this small vignette here in the Gospels, we don't have uh, any indicators about where these events took place. Jesus is still on his way to Jerusalem as the, the gospel has been portraying that Jesus is moving through the towns and cities and making his way to Jerusalem for the last time. And so this probably took place in Perea and a region beyond the Jordan. Later in uh, this chapter, he will enter Jericho, which is on uh, the Israel side of the Jordan River. And from there, he will make the ascent up to Jerusalem but Luke here records that people were bringing children to Jesus. It says, now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. Matthew and Mark also record this event, which tells us something that if all three synoptic gospels record an event, it must have stood out in their minds to include it in their retelling of Jesus' ministry. But interestingly enough, Matthew and Mark here have a generic word for children. They uh, describe uh, they were bringing even children to him. Luke here uses that same word in verse 16, but here in verse 15, he uses a word uh, that refers to the earliest stages of childhood, which is why the English Standard Version here translates it as infants. Your translation might even say babies. It can refer to babies. It can refer to uh, those who are even uh, in utero and those who are newborn and up to infants who are even three or four years of age. Now, who were bringing these infants? Well, it doesn't necessarily say, but it most likely was the parents, the mothers and the fathers 
that we're bringing these children to Jesus. It's possible there were older siblings, but we just don't know. Most likely parents. And they did so. Did you notice the reason? They brought them to Jesus that he might touch them. That he might touch them. Now, interestingly, Matthew's account of this says that they brought him to him that he might touch them and pray for them. Which I think begins to, helps us to understand what these parents were asking for and seeking for. In this touching and praying, they were seeking that, that Jesus would bless their children. Recognizing, in this case, even those who were in the earliest stages of their life, that, that Jesus would place their hands upon them and bless them for the years they had ahead. Now, where did they get this idea that a religious leader might touch them and bless them? The best we can find in the Old Testament is, is the story of the patriarchs, where some of those patriarchs bless their children by touching uh, them and, and blessing them. You'll remember Isaac did this to Jacob when Jacob stole the blessing from Esau. And uh, you'll also remember then that uh, Jacob went on and blessed uh, Joseph's children, Manasseh and Ephraim, and there his, he switched his hands around. Uh, and there was, so there's drama in both of those blessings. And so we see that, that these patriarchs would bless their children by putting their hands upon them. And so somehow that these parents heard about Christ. Maybe they had sat under the ministry of Christ himself or, or heard about him. They, they knew and they believed that Jesus had a special heart for children. That if they were to bring their children to him, that, that he would accept them. Which was remarkable because at the time, the religious leaders within Judaism had virtually no interest in children. Until uh, they just need to sit down, need to learn the law, and then once they become accountable for the law, once they are actually a functioning member of society, an adult, then we'll talk. And so these parents knew that Jesus wouldn't be like that. They were bringing their children, even their infants, to Jesus. There was something about him they believe that they, Jesus would accept their children. And yet as they do so, with great hopes of what Jesus would do, notice that Jesus' bouncers kick in. It says in the second half of verse 15, and when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. They rebuked the parents. We don't know exactly what that rebuke looked like. We don't know what the words were, how they stopped them. But in a way, they, they scolded them for bringing their children. No, 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 What are you doing? Shh. Ushered them off to the side. Told them to go away. Don't bother the Lord. They believe it's unacceptable that they would bring children to Jesus. You can see that they may have imbibed the very same values that permeated Judaism. And so in their pride, they had convinced themselves that Jesus was too important or too busy to be bothered with children. They thought Jesus had too much going on. He got too much important ministry. We can't stall the show just for these little kids. I mean, what can they offer? They're just going to be a drain. They're just going to be a resource suck. They were seem to be healthy children. And there's no indication here that they were bringing them to him for healing. And they couldn't listen to his teaching. In fact, they might even interrupt it. And so they weren't valuable to the mission of Jesus. In the eyes of the disciples, the children were not valuable to the mission of Jesus. Now, you can picture the disciples. They, they're thinking that they're pretty important stuff. You know, they're, they're some of the disciples of the Lord. And so, you know, they're probably fielding people and, and giving people access to Jesus. And in this case, they think they're doing the Lord an important service. In fact, they, they thought they were probably speaking for Jesus. That when they rebuked the parents, they thought that they were carrying out the values of Jesus himself. But what they revealed in their rebuke, friends is that they did not know the heart of Christ. And they made it clear that they had no place in their own hearts for children. They saw children as a nuisance and a distraction. The presence of the little ones cut into the perception 
the disciples wanted to maintain of Jesus' high importance because you see, if children are allowed to come and the, the ministry of Jesus includes children and he stops and blesses them, then it's, it would degrade their own importance because their importance in their own eyes is derived from Jesus. The higher he was viewed, the more their own egos were stroked. And so therefore, in the name of Jesus, they served their own pride instead of their Lord. And friends, I think this is a good lesson for us as well. For the same thing can happen to us. In the name of serving the Lord or serving other people, we can be inadvertently serving our own interests and our own pride. Isn't that so easy? For our own sinful, prideful hearts to commandeer a great work of the Lord? And it happens so easily. We serve in a role and we serve in church somewhere because we want to glorify the Lord and want to serve other people. And then we begin to take our identity from it and we begin to take pride in that role that we serve in. Or it can happen as we see ourselves as God's soldiers of truth and wherever those who misstep, whoever says something wrong in error, we must rebuke them in their sin because we want to uphold the standard of righteousness. But in the process, we hurt our brother or sister and we make ourselves feel better because we're not like other people. Or it can be that we, in the name of truth, in the name of living faithfully for the Lord, that we run a tight ship in our family. There's no margin for error. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord but we can think we're honoring the Lord and yet suffocating our family. While we think we're doing what he wants, we're hurting the very ones that are, we're responsible to care for. The disciples here thought that they were doing what Jesus wanted. They thought they were carrying out his mission's values. They thought they were being godly ones. But Jesus quickly proved that they still had a lot to learn. In fact, they could learn something from children. Mark's account of this in Mark 10 says that Jesus was indignant at the disciples. That description, that emotive response by Jesus is not described much in the, in the Gospels. But this account brought out Jesus' indignation. He was angry at their lack of heart. Now, verse 16, Luke just records, you'll look at it there. He says, but Jesus called them to him. He, rather than rebuking the parents and rebuking the children and sending them away as the disciples did, Jesus does the exact opposite and he summons them. He calls them to himself. He says, no, 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 come, come to me. He says, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. As I said, the religious leaders of the day, the scribes and the Pharisees did not value children. And they gave very little attention to children. In other words, you wouldn't find a Pharisee teaching Sunday school. He didn't see it. He saw it as below him. It wasn't valuable of his, worth his time to do so. But Jesus stands out to the religious leaders of his day, and really of the religious leaders of any day. The children aren't able to pay the checks. Children are not able to help someone's image. Children simply receive. And so they're often neglected, often ignored, or often simply shoved into indoctrination and just not given the care and concern that is needed. And so we see that Jesus here distinctly has a care and concern for the next generation. He has a love and a care for children. Jesus wanted the children to come. Not because he was simply winning their hearts over and they would be future adults who would be part of his constituency. But because children are special in their own right. Children should not be shoved aside in Christ's mission. 
he included them in his messianic ministry and made it an emphatic point to do so. And again, all the synoptic writers included that so that we wouldn't miss the point. Children are not neglected by Jesus. They are not bothersome, but they are beloved. And so we will show our value for children as well if we follow Jesus' exhortation here. He says, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. Friends, if we are going to value children as Jesus did, then we must follow his command, follow his exhortation, and let the children come to Christ. We must lead them to the Savior. Parents, this begins with you. This is our first task that we seek to lead our children to the Lord, that we bring them to Christ. We show them our Savior. He wants your children to come to him. And he exhorts you to not hinder that coming. So how do we lead our children to Jesus? How do we obey this exhortation to let the children come and, and seek to follow that? First is we need to give them God's word. We need to give our children God's word. This can be in the reading of God's word through family worship and devotions. This is going to be in the giving of God's word as we seek to train them and deal with certain situations that arise. We want to show them how the word of God speaks to those situations as we correct them and discipline them in the Lord. But we must let them hear the voice of Jesus come through scripture. If we neglect to give them the word of God, we are hindering them from coming to him. We are responsible to take them to Christ. But the second way we can lead them to Jesus is to pray for them. We need to pray for them. Pray that God would work in their hearts. We need to take them before the throne and asking that the Lord would work in their life, that he would draw them to at an early age, that he would enable them to, to see Christ in all of his glory, see sin in all of its heinousness, and, and reject the temptations of this world, and that they would seek to follow him. Our heart, if we truly desire that our children would know the Lord, then it must flesh itself out, flow out into prayers before Jesus for our children. Thirdly, connected to this, we must evangelize our children. We, in other words, we must give them the gospel. We cannot assume the gospel, assume that they know. We must seek that they know Christ and they understand the gospel. Do they understand what Jesus requires of them? Or are they just learning? We can't just teach them all the Bible has to say about morals. We must teach them all the Bible has to say about the gospel, what Jesus requires of them. And know the life that is found from those who repent and believe in him. The fourth way we can lead them to Jesus is by teaching them hymns and songs of praise. We train their hearts to delight in Christ and to go to Jesus as we help them to sing the truth of the word of God. Sing the truths of who God is. And so music is a way to implant those truths deep into our hearts and enable it to sink down into the, our children's hearts that they might sing of him all their days. Those songs will stick with them and they will remember that truth about who Jesus is and about what he has done for them. And fifth suggestion of a way we can lead them to Jesus is to teach them to pray. Teach them to pray. Teach them to go to Jesus themselves and to be able to open up and share their own hearts, their concerns, that they might be able to know that Jesus can be trusted with the, the burdens that are on their hearts. No matter how big or small, Jesus cares for them and wants to hear what's on their hearts. And so we love our children. We value them by leading them to Jesus. And again, if we neglect to do these things, friends, if we just leave it all up to chance, we leave it all up to, oh, they'll just learn it all by osmosis and there's no intentionality Friends, we could be guilty of hindering them from coming to Jesus. We must be intentionally seeking to bring them to the Lord. But I would say the sixth part of that, and this will transition to my, my, my next part here, is that we also need to bring them to church. 
The way that we will help teach them and bring them to Jesus is by bringing them to church because here at church we are seeking to do the same exact things. We are partnering with you to introduce Jesus to your children. That they would learn the ways of the Lord. By not bringing children to church, they can be hindered from meeting Jesus. It's a partnership. It's not family only. It's not church only. It's family partnering with the church as we seek to instruct the next generation in the ways of the Lord. And friends, this is an exhortation to the whole church. We all are seeking to lead our children that are here to the Lord. Let the children come to me and do not hinder them. That goes for all of us. We all have a responsibility to the children that are all around us. The children that God has given to our families and here at this church are a stewardship and a gift. And we all need to take this priority of Jesus, this value of children, and seek that we live according to it. This isn't just for some people that really like kids. This is for all of us to obey the command of Christ that we value the next generation. From teaching Sunday school to talking to kids that are in your small group to engaging with the friends of your children in conversation or wherever you might be able to engage the next generation, you must seek to try to point them to Jesus. We want them to know the Lord. Not just be nice kids. Not just to be moral kids. We want them to follow Jesus. Unfortunately, churches can be guilty of hindering children from coming to Jesus. Oh, they've got a, a kick in children's ministry. And the kids go home having fun every week, but they haven't necessarily learned Christ. They haven't necessarily learned the gospel. Unfortunately, too many churches entertain children rather than feed them the word of God. They give them a fun time of play, but they don't teach them God's word. But friends, our children don't need more entertainment. This world is awash of it with entertainment. They need the Bible, they need to hear from Jesus, they need to hear from their creator. But churches can also hinder children from the, uh, Jesus by not giving them the whole gospel. Unfortunately, we've bought into this idea that we can teach children some trite phrases about what it means to become a Christian, like we children just need to, you need to make Jesus your forever friend which I understand the heart behind it is trying to help them to understand the reality of the gospel, but we, by sheltering them from the, the words like repent and believe, we may be keeping them from understanding what it is that God actually calls them to do. And then later on they find out, oh, that thing that I did when I raised my hand and wasn't, I didn't actually repent of my sin and believe in Jesus. I just kind of followed the, the crowd. It can confuse children. It can keep them from truly knowing if they have salvation or not. Because the Bible calls us to repent and believe. Now, I praise God that FBC has been strong in this area of teaching children since its inception 30 years ago. By God's grace and through his enablement, the children's ministry team here has week in and week out for 30 years taught our children God's word. Our WANA program continues to help children press that deeper by memorizing it in their heart so they can take it with them. And so we praise God for the ministry that's able to continue here as we seek to bring people to Jesus, including the very youngest, youngest among us. And so as we look at the verses 15 and 16, the key takeaway for us this morning is that we must value children as Jesus did in this account and we know that he does today. Even though Jesus has ascended to heaven and is at the right hand of the throne of God, he values children today as well and calls them to come to him. And so the question for us is, do we see children as just as valuable? Or do we see children's ministry and talking with children a second class ministry? Do we see it as not worth our time or attention? Do we just want to wait till they grow up and then we'll have a conversation with them? Friends, they were worthy of our Lord's time. They should be worthy of ours as well. 
So the first step in learning from children in this passage is that we must value children as Jesus does. But the second step that we must take in order to learn all that Christ would have for us here is, number two, trust in Jesus like a child would. Trust in Jesus like a child would. First, we value children like Jesus does. And our second step is to trust in Jesus like a child would. And here we're going to begin in the last phrase of verse 16. You notice I haven't commented on that yet. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. You see, after making a statement of how he valued children, he then goes on to give a statement and an exhortation which looks to children as a model. With the way that children were viewed in that culture, Jesus could not simply have said, hey, look to children on how you are to receive the kingdom. They would have been predisposed to discount children. And uh, we see that even in the rebuke of the disciples. Yeah, listen to children? What do you mean, Jesus? And he says, no, 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 bring them to me because I have a lesson to teach you. Jesus had to change their view of children before he could point to their example. And so we see then, pointing to their example, in the last phrase of verse 16, for to such belong the kingdom of God. Now this connection with the children has produced a number of interpretations of what he, Jesus means here. Some say that Jesus is saying that children are, are Jesus is simply saying that, Jesus, that children are capable of being saved. In other words, to dispel any thoughts that children can't be saved, he says, no, they are able to be saved, for such belongs the kingdom of God. Children will be included in the kingdom. Or others will say, well, what Jesus is saying here is that uh, because children will be included in the kingdom, then we can be certain that children who die before the, the level or age of accountability, that they'll go to heaven. Others say that Jesus is saying that all children in uh, the covenant community, i.e. the church, are saved. And so others will say that by blessing infants, Jesus is giving warrant to the practice of infant baptism. Now I personally think that all of these interpretations miss the point of what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is not commenting on whether children are capable of being saved or not. He's not saying uh, whether or not they can have saving faith or at what age they have that faith. I also don't think that it is here that Jesus gives a statement of any indication of the eternal state of infants when they die. Now, as a side note, I do believe that the Bible teaches that infants who die do go to heaven. And this also applies to uh, those who are of uh, die in utero or uh, who uh, also may have a mental disability too, that God's grace covers those in such states. Not because they're innocent, not because they haven't sinned, but simply because God graciously applies Christ's finished work to them. Now, I don't have time to get this morning to get into the full biblical argument for that case, but I want to make available to you a book by Pastor John MacArthur entitled Safe in the Arms of God. If you would like a copy of that book, we have one that we would like to give you. You can contact the church office and we'd be happy to give that to you. He, I believe he does a great job of lining up the biblical case for such a position that gives us confidence and assurance that children who die young are safe in the arms of God. But coming back to our passage, what is Jesus saying here then? I believe Jesus is not saying anything about necessarily the salvation of children, but rather he is pivoting to speak of those who are like children who belong to the kingdom. And this interpretation stems from two pieces of evidence. The first is the immediate context, and the second is a Greek pronoun. First, let's talk about the context. And just remember where we find this passage. It's located right after he's emphasized justification by faith alone, as we recounted in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. This made very clear that the route to be saved and to be justified before God is by humbling oneself before the Father and crying out to the Lord, God be merciful to me, a sinner. 
It is those who cry out for God's mercy is the one who will be finally exalted. It is those who humble themselves before the Lord who ultimately are saved and receive entrance into the kingdom. But Jesus continues this theme even in the passage that we'll study next in which he addresses the rich young ruler because there the rich young ruler asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The question still remains, how can I be saved? How can I enter that kingdom? How can I have, be in that eternal kingdom and have eternal life? And so it emphasizes how it is that someone's saved and how they can secure a spot in that future kingdom. And our passage here, sandwiched between them, is no different. It fits in this context. The passage here in Luke 18 continues Jesus' teaching about who qualifies for that future kingdom. He's not trying to say anything necessarily about the salvation of little ones, although he is using infants as another example of those who are considered insignificant and passed over by others. Jesus' example so far is about a tax collector, is this example of righteousness compared to a Pharisee. That is, uh, would be unheard of for the religious people of that day. The Pharisees were considered the most godly. And yet Jesus shows that a tax collector went home justified instead of the Pharisee. Here, he's saying infants are another example of those who are considered insignificant and passed over by others, and yet we must be like them. But more narrowly, Jesus' point in verse 17 is about the need to receive or believe in order to gain access to the kingdom. The next verse is going to talk about receiving the kingdom or believing. And so verse 16 said that children as a category belong to the kingdom. What is that even saying? That all children are redeemed automatically because they're children? Well, we know that can't be. That certain children are redeemed? Well, then which ones? And how do we know who Jesus is talking about? That children categorically just are able to be saved? That's fine, and we believe that, that children can be saved indeed. They can put their faith in Christ. But they need to walk through the same door as all, all the others, through faith. There's not a child salvation or an adult salvation. It's all the same door. And so the context shows that the theme is salvation and how it is that we enter and gain qualification for that future kingdom. But we need to also look at the grammar of this verse. The ESV that preaching from here translates the phrase, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. But your translation, NASB, along with many other modern translations, render the phrase, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Belongs to such as these. The pronoun rendered to such in the ESV or to such as these in other translations is a pronoun that speaks of quality. In other words, Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God belongs to those who have a similar quality to that of infants. The kingdom of God belongs to those who have a similar quality to that of infants. An expanded translation could read like this. Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who have the same qualities as these. When we understand Jesus' statement in this way, we see that he is simply transitioning to the important point he's about to make in verse 17. He's highlighted children, he's brought them to him, and now he wants to draw a lesson from children. His original audience may have asked in their minds, how does the kingdom belong to those who are like children? And Jesus then makes that clear in verse 17. Look at what it says in verse 17. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. The statement begins, you'll see, with the word truly. This is the word amen in the Greek and it translates or it emphasizes the point Jesus is about to make. We can't miss this. This is a key thing that he wants us to see. If we are to receive the kingdom of God, if we were to enter the kingdom of God one day, we must receive it like a child. And here we see that the kingdom of God is both received and entered. See those two verbs? Receive the kingdom and enter the kingdom. Let's look first of all at how the kingdom is something to be entered. 
The kingdom of God, we know, was uh, prophesied in the Old Testament. It was then proclaimed by Jesus. And he, as he came to the end of his life here, he began to, to talk about the kingdom being something that was in a future date. In fact, we'll see in chapter 19 that the disciples thought that uh, the kingdom was going to appear soon and Jesus tells them a parable to help them to see, listen, the kingdom is not appearing here soon. I'm going to the cross and there's going to be a gap. There's going to be a time before this kingdom appears. And so the kingdom is something that will be entered on a future date. But citizenship to that kingdom is determined in the here and now. The kingdom of God has not yet been established on earth. That will happen when the king returns. And we await and pray for that day. Come Lord Jesus. However, those who belong to that kingdom and those who will be granted access to enter it, as Jesus talks about, is being determined in the here and now by our response to the king. As my predecessor, Pastor David Forsyth, would say, it's a physical kingdom entered through a spiritual door. We must spiritually respond to Jesus if we're going to enter that future physical kingdom one day. But the second thing is we see not only is the kingdom something to be entered, but it's something to be received. And as we've talked about many times through the book of Luke, the kingdom, it relates primarily to the king. It revolves around the king, King Jesus. And so as we've seen, one's response to the king determines one's status in the kingdom. Receiving the kingdom then is another way to talk about faith in the king. We must receive Jesus. We must trust and believe in him. And I believe John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12 help us here. It says this, He came, this is Jesus, came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Do you see how John continues to clarify what receiving means? But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. These verses clarify that receiving Jesus means believing in Jesus. Therefore, to receive the kingdom, as Jesus speaks of here, means to believe it exists and to trust in the king for that future access. The whole point here, friends, is that we must receive and believe in Jesus. This is what he wants his original audience to understand and what he wants us to understand. But you'll notice that Jesus doesn't just say to receive the kingdom. He says receive the kingdom like a child. This was the shocking reality. This was the shocking example. If we don't receive it like a child, we will not enter it. It's that simple. And here he's talking about the manner in which we receive Christ, in which we receive the kingdom. Many, in trying to understand Jesus' reference to children here, have gone too far, in my opinion, in attributing values to childhood. They, working off of really, I, I think, a sentimental view of children, try to talk about the innocence of children or talk about the great love and capacity for love that children have or they, they talk about the fact that they're very receptive to things or that uh, they are, um, are naturally trusting and some of these things may be true of children, but we need to remember that the original audience would not have viewed children in such a sentimental way. They didn't think of children as these cute, innocent uh, uh, people that uh, we should uh, just smile and, and, and take pictures of. That, that's developed in more recent times. They undervalued children, saw them as a drain rather than a contribution to society. And so I believe that Jesus is simply highlighting this simple fact about children. They come into this world helpless. They come into this world helpless and dependent. They can do nothing on their own, as we noted earlier. They're unable to do anything for themselves. They need everything done for them and are completely dependent upon their parents. In particular, you'll notice the word Luke chooses is infants. How else do you emphasize the helplessness of children other than identifying them as infants? And so just as infants, children are dependent upon their parents, friends, we must be dependent upon Christ. We must take the posture of a child, confessing our helplessness, our inability to save ourselves, our inability to do any spiritual good on our own, and we must come to God and lay it all down, and we must be bankrupt of spirit. We must recognize that we have no good on our own, that we aren't able to earn anything in God's sight. We are like helpless children that simply need to receive everything 
We don't contribute one ounce. We just receive it all. We need everything spiritually in order to be qualified for the kingdom, in order to be saved. We must be like children, recognizing our helplessness and our dependency. We've seen this again in the context, just like the tax collector cried out, didn't even look to heaven and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So too, we are in that way. The, the tax collector modeled what a believer is to look like when they take on the posture of a child. The tax collector went to God and received the kingdom like a child. He said he recognized he had nothing and needed to receive it all as a token of God's grace and mercy. He doesn't think of himself as contributing anything. On the other hand, though, you remember the Pharisee. The Pharisee thought he was not helpless, but helpful. God, you're going to be proud of me. You're going to be glad that you got me on your side because I can do all these things. And so he brought his own righteousness before the Lord. That is not the heart of a child. That is the exact opposite of what Jesus is calling us to hear. He wants us to learn something from children about our faith and salvation. We must learn helplessness and dependency. And so, please hear me this morning. If you don't come to Christ confessing your utter helplessness before him, then there is no salvation. You cannot simply tack on Jesus onto your life and think that he just adds a little bit of moral good to you and think that you'll be saved. Jesus is not just about making us moral people. He wants us to come and to leave everything behind. That is what repentance is about. We turn a 180 from our world, from our life of sin and from everything that we hold dear. The Apostle Paul says, I count it all as loss. I count it all as rubbish for the sake of knowing Christ. And that is, must be our heart. Friends, people go through a personal crisis and they go, oh, I need to get right with God. I better turn to him. And they, and they get serious. They start coming to church. They start reading their Bible more. They start praying more. But then how often does the crisis change and things get better and then the heart is not actually there? They haven't actually renounced all. They're not clinging to Christ as a child in helpless dependence. Friends, we must go to him and fall on our faces confessing our utter failure to measure up to his standard of righteousness. This is what it means to be poor in spirit as Jesus said the blessed are in Matthew chapter 5. We must sense deep down in our being that we have no ability to save ourselves, that we have no righteousness, no goodness. If there's anything good in us, if you've walked with the Lord in any sort of way, if you have seen any sort of goodness in your life, friends, it's all been a gift. You've received it. You can't put your name on it at all. It's all got Christ's name on it. It's all his. And so as children, we just are grateful and glad that Christ has done this for us. So each of us must examine our faith. Is it childlike? Does it possess the qualities that Jesus talks about here? Are we receiving him and his kingdom as a child? Have you expressed complete helplessness spiritually before God? Have you expressed your complete dependency on Christ? Have you thrown yourself upon the mercy of Jesus as the tax collector did? God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have you surrendered all? Friends, we need to see that Jesus is mighty to save. He says, those who come to me, I will in no way cast out. He is calling all to come, children and adults, that we would come and embrace him and believe in him and trust in him to know that his heart is kind towards sinners. He is merciful. He came to die for sinners. We must see the heart of our Savior, that he welcomes all who come to him. And you can know his embrace today if you would confess your utter helplessness and dependency upon him. Now those who are Christians who have confessed this and continue to walk with Christ will continue to confess, will continue to live out childlike faith throughout their life. 
In other words, we don't get in the door of the Christian life by becoming like a child and then we suddenly become like adults and abandon that childhood thing. No, we continue with childlike faith throughout our lives. We continue to confess that we are helpless. We continue to confess that we need Jesus. And so friends, my prayer is that each one of us would be able to confess the words given to us by Augustus Top Lady in the hymn, Rock of Ages, where he writes, Rock of Ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Friends, this is the cry of the Christian every step of the way. And may it be so for us. Let's pray. Oh God, we ask that you would please be merciful to us. Help us to see our need for you. Oh God, we thank you for the words here in this text to recognize that we do need to learn something from children. We look at their helplessness, the fact that they need all things from us to care for them. And Father, our temptation in our flesh is to take some sort of credit spiritually, to think that we're a somebody when we're actually a nobody. And I pray that you would teach that truth to our heart, Father, for it's when we confess and recognize that we are a nobody and offer nothing before you that then we recognize the wondrous grace that you have lavished upon us. Not because we've earned it, but simply because you have shown us great, great mercy. Lord, we thank you for this gift of grace. In Jesus' name, amen.